On this podcast, we discuss medical diagnoses and procedures. All of the guests express their own opinions. You should always seek medical advice from a trained and credentialed professional when making decisions about your own health. Welcome to the Sleep Apnea Stories podcast. I'm Emma Cooksey, and I've been coping with sleep apnea since childhood. I didn't know anyone in my life with a sleep disorder, so I decided to start this podcast. I'm here to build community and provide a platform for people with sleep apnea to tell their stories. Together, we can shatter stereotypes and raise awareness. We'll be exploring all sorts of treatment options and lifestyle choices to help you live your best life with sleep apnea. This is Sleep Apnea Stories, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey, how's it going? It's Emma here, and I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Nora Gadusi-Zaghi, and she was born and raised in Los Angeles. She received her undergraduate degree from UCLA and then went on to study dentistry from the University of Southern California. Um, She specialized in pediatric dentistry at the University of Nevada, and she's a board-certified diplomat of the American Board of Pediatric Dentists. Dr. Nora offers functional and integrative oral healthcare and interceptive orthodontics with a focus on whole body health and well-being. So if you're not sure what any of those things mean, don't worry, because we're going to get to it in our conversation. So here's my conversation with Dr. Nora Gaduzi-Zaghi. Thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Zaggy. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Do you want to start off by telling people whereabouts you are in the world? Yeah, so my name is Dr. Nora Gadusi Zaghi. I am a board-certified pediatric dentist, and I have advanced expertise in sleep, breathing, um, early interceptive orthodontics, and ankyloglossium. Um, I am here in sunny Los Angeles, and we have a location in Calabasas and in Westwood, Los Angeles, right near UCLA, uh, which is um, the called the Breathe Institute. And I have my department called the Breathe Kids Dental, which focuses on these issues um, that I've highlighted uh, here. For at the children Institute. of all ages, is that right? Yes, children of all ages. And there's also adults that are treated here with the other specialists here at the Breathe Institute as well. I think of what you do as more like early intervention to make sure that children don't develop into teens and adults with sleep apnea. Like Mm -hmm. I think that um, sometimes like I've had other specialists on who are talking about kids but in terms of when they've already developed sleep apnea and it's quite severe and they have to have like a sleep study and sometimes they end up on CPAP and that kind of thing but what I think of when I think of what you're doing at the Breathe Institute you're treating more like the root causes of these problems before they really get bad right the great thing about being a functional and airway centric provider airway focused provider is really having that um, expertise or understanding of the dif- the spectrum of sleep disorder breathing and the red flags that might be associated with sleep disorder breathing. So when you're talking about what it is and the root causes and how we're able to screen, we're really talking about an air functional airway evaluation screening. Um, this 
more more recently, there was a developed Ferris 6 that was published by the Breathe Institute alongside other providers and Cynthia Peterson, where we were able to actually pin it down to six points. Initially, there was like 20, 30, 40 points, I believe. And the most statistically significant points lied upon this Ferris 6. So now the American Dental Association and other dental associations have now made it um, the standard of care to screen for sleep disordered breathing. And the great thing about being a dentist is that, especially a pediatrist, is that we're able to see kids right around the first tooth, tooth eruption. And we're even able to see these kids even earlier if we're doing, for example, treatment for tethered oral tissues, which we can get into later. Um, but what, what we found is that these six determinants um, are red flags for sleep disordered breathing. And these include mouth breathing, uh, having a mentalis strain, which is a straight strain underneath the lower lip that's developing um, an incompetence to close the lips together, tonsillar hypertrophy, which is the tonsils, which is the posterior portion of the airway when you open your mouth and you see those two structures on the side of the airway. If those are large or encompassing more than 50% of the airway when you're looking at the airway and the mouth is open and the tongue is out, that would be a red flag. If we're seeing something called ankyloglossia or tongue tie, which we'll talk about soon, dental wear, bruxism is another is another red flag. So grinding Having, and clenching of the teeth. Yeah, and we can get into all of these individually because I think they're each so important. Yes. Narrow palate palates, which is when look opening up the mouth, looking at the roof of the mouth and seeing if there's a shape that's more like a V versus a U um, and dental crowding. And in addition to looking at the inner molar width. So this is when we as dentists look into the mouth and we measure how much, how many millimeters are between the first molar, which is the back posterior molar that erupts around six years old mm -hmm. to the other side, okay? Um, and we have different measuring tools to determine what the severity is for that. So having a good understanding as to what we can screen for really early on can save, you know, the can save not only a child or an adult's life, but also the quality of their life yep. for a lifetime. So it's worth just saying, I think the Ferris Six is amazing. I'm going to put a link to that resource in the show notes so people can go and actually download it for themselves. But you've put together like it's just two pages and you have pictures of what you're looking for. Like if you are looking at your child and you're not sure if maybe, you know, they're, they're restless at night or you're not sure if they're mouth breathing and if it's normal, you can look down all of these different pictures and it has a descriptor of what you're looking for. And that's mm -hmm. going to help parents, right? Along with, you know, dentists or other clinicians to be able to spot these things. Absolutely. It really does help parents. And something unique that I do in my practice um, is I actually include the Ferris 6 in my intake. So some parents are like, wow, you know, I didn't even know. And you know, it's not for families. It's not for, it's not for, it's not patient facing. It's right, really just, right. not. but I include it. And that gives parents the opportunity to go ahead and review what, what I'm looking at and what I'm looking for, what I'm screening for, and to learn and research what it is that we're, we are looking for at the pediatric dental office. And um, what we find is that parents were like, you know what? I didn't think my child was a mouth breather, but I did. I looked at them at night 
and I peeked in the crib and I saw that my child's mouth was open and the tongue was down. And now I'm worried. Can you tell me wh what this means? Why? And we come up with the most minimally invasive options and treatment plans to help them get to nasal breathing with the tongue up and the lips closed. Mm -hmm. That's our ultimate goal. So talk about, so you mentioned it before um, about sleep disorder breathing. And I think sometimes people misunderstand that and they think that they have to be observing like a child pausing and breathing like you would in sleep apnea. But actually this goes all the way like to, it could be a child that you just explained with just that they have an open mouth and their tongue is not in the correct position. So could uh -huh. you talk a little bit about that big spectrum and what's like, you know, that it's all not normal and <laughs> yes, yes, and it's unhealthy. And that's what we really have to look at. It's unhealthy. Parents just look at their child and they think, wow, you know, and I, ha I have a two-year-old, right? And I have parents that, are, you know, we hang out, we do mom's day and we chat and they're like, what is it that you do exactly? I'm like, yeah, I help kids with like sleep disorder breathing. I'm a pediatric dentist. I do growth and development. I do functional dentistry. And they're like, oh, that sleep disorder breathing thing. My kid only snores sometimes, you know, it's just here and there. And I just talk a little bit more about it and I explain the here and there is, is it just here and there because that's when you're peeking in and it's here and there, or is it more frequent and you're unaware? So having that awareness of the spectrum. So sleep disorder breathing is a spectrum. And usually the first red flag of sleep disorder breathing is mouth breathing. And yes, you can spot that very young in life, almost in infancy. And what you can see is that we'll see frequent drooling, mouth open, the tongue is down. You could see that the nose might be always congested. Mm -hmm. And that could be due to underdevelopment of the nasal passage. And we could talk about that more with the family if that's what we're seeing. It could be due to having low tongue posture due to potential tether or oral tissues. Or it could be due to anatomic reasons, structural reasons. Are the tonsils hy are hypertrophied? Is there a mid-face deficiency? Are the jaws underdeveloped? Because these can also lead to the snoring issues. And these are all things that could be treatable, especially very early on in life. Yeah. These so I know that the Ferris 6 is, you were saying it's more, it's not supposed to necessarily be patient facing. It's more for dentists to actually use in their own practice for screening. Yeah. But I just want to be real with people listening right because I'm a parent and I live in northeast Florida in suburbia and I'm not close to any pro providers really like you and so I want to um help people to try and like start navigating this for their kids because yeah. you're going to have to advocate for your child in most yeah. places right so there are some people that maybe live down the street from your wonderful facility and they just go to the breathe institute and and it all works out and that's great but for most people they will go to a pediatric dentist a pediatrician and be told oh well they're mice breathing like that seems normal because just purely because even if those people are great dentists and doctors they just haven't been trained in craniofacial development and airway, right? Mm -hmm. So do you want to explain a little bit about that? That sure. your so, training might be slightly different from what people are seeing in their own community. Absolutely. And, you know, so there, 
there are courses that many dentists take, and that's continuing education. If they find interest and passion in having a greater understanding on dental facial development, craniofacial development, um, what the greater implications of underdeveloped jaws can create and how that the consequences of that, in addition to what's, what treatment methods that dentists can provide for patients with sleep disordered breathing. Um, there's so many different avenues and the Breathe Institute has courses that many providers take. So we do have at thebreatheinstitute.com a list of providers that have taken our courses um, that have this understanding and training in relationship to sleep, breathing, and tongue tie. And this is uh, people in the United States, but also outside of the country, like yes. in other places in the world. Yes, so in, in the world. link to that in the show notes so people can go and search in their area to see if anybody has been trained in that way. Yeah, and I would love to touch a little bit on what you can do as a parent, because I think that's so important. Um, one thing that I always ask my parents to do is wait about 90 minutes after your child goes to sleep and just take a video of them, two minute video and show me how is your child sleeping? Are they sleeping on their back, on their side or on their face? Is their mouth open or closed? How does their chest look? Are there chest retractions? Do you hear any audible breathing? Do you hear like there's strain, apneas? Is there any sign of um, of this noisy breathing that we might find or snoring? Just go ahead and do that. If you would like, what I would recommend is reviewing that video as a parent. And then the very next day, start working on nasal hygiene. And nasal hygiene would be going ahead and getting something like Exlear or a Neil MD neti pot and working with your child on using this to Im improve nasal hygiene. Because yes, if there's any obstruction in the nasal passages, there's gonna be difficulty for your child to breathe. Then I would go ahead and examine air quality in the home. And this is something that I would tell any parent, go ahead and look and see when were the, la when were the vents last changed? What's the humidity in my home? The vents should be changed every I every three months, in my opinion. Um, the humidity shouldn't be more than 50%. 30 to 50% is ideal. More than 50%, there's a risk of mold. We should get air, consider air filters. I like, um, there's so many different ones, but go ahead. Like and air look. filters for your whole house is what you're talking about? Like attached? I don't get air filters for the house. Personally, I have like a, a pod, like a little. Oh, okay that I could put near around the child's room. And then you can go ahead and look through what they're sleeping with. Like maybe there's like some sort bedding of- bedding. Exactly. How old is their mattress? And especially totally. dust mites are huge with this stuff. Totally. Get the carpet out of their room. Try that. Get the, get the, um, get the stuffed animals that's in the bed washed. Maybe only allow one stuffed animal in the bed or no stuffed animals if they're really, you know, filled with dust and they're more- uh, prone to having that. These are things that a parent can easily do. Um, in addition, sometimes kids have dairy intolerances or gluten allergies. And this is something that a parent can just give, like, pay attention to noticing how they, their breathing or their airway might change based on what they're eating. Just basically take mental notes or uh, dietary logs to see how the breathing might shift or change based on their diet. And then once you have this data, you can easily go to an ENT or a dentist or a physician and tell them, look, I did X, Y, and Z. I have documentation of what I've done. I need help. Okay. I love that. If a 
still persists, I need help. What can I do to get my child healthier? And why do they need to be healthier? Well, if they're having poor sleep or they're waking out of REM sleep, they're not releasing growth hormone. They're not mm-hmm. getting deep sleep. So that means and deep sleep where we where we get memory consolidation throughout, throughout the day, they're not going to be able to remember it as well. They're not going to be able to do as well on their tests in school. They might have ADHD-like symptoms. Imagine you and me as adults, and we only had one hour of sleep. Or me, I, I, let's say I only had one or two hours of sleep. I'm jittery. I'm shaky. I forget. Yeah. I fall asleep in school. I don't think I would do well in school as an adult. And I've had with one or two hours of sleep. So we need to advocate for our children, especially before we go ahead and put them on medications like ADHD, like medications. And this is something that's a different conversation, but I think that parents should be aware. They should have access to this easy, free way of almost, you know, very minimally invasive way of helping treat their child. And if there's still an issue, that's something that they have to, they have, they should be talking to providers about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And so can you just drill down a little bit on that whole thing? I think a lot of people are not aware of um, disruptive sleep in children actually showing up more like ADHD, you would expect. It's almost counterintuitive, right? Because a lot of uh, adults, they would just look really tired and be really low energy. But do you want to explain how that can sometimes show up in children and look quite different to adults? Yeah. So for kids, like you mentioned, when adults don't have a lack of sleep, you might have an idea like I didn't sleep well, I'm not doing well today. But when a child isn't breathing properly, what is physically happening? That means, for example, what is there must be an obstruction in the airway that's not allowing them to breathe, that's potentially waking them up through apnea and causing them to get out of these different stages of sleep and waking them up out of sleep and causing them to not get that deep sleep that we need to grow, for example, to release the growth hormone, because that does happen in certain stages of sleep. So in children, that might look like, for example, I've had a patient that didn't grow over a course of one year. They didn't grow. No growth in a year, like no inches. Then the child is like three or four years old and didn't grow at all in a year. The course of one year, they started putting him on uh, growth hormone and see he was seeing an endocrinologist and the root cause was sleep disordered breathing. In children, it can also look like, for example, children falling asleep at school, having hyperactivity, not doing well. It might also seem like the patient, like the child, it might be restless, rolling around significantly throughout bed, get waking up out of the bed, wetting the bed, bedwetting, significant bedwetting could cause um, could ca- be a sign of not having that deep sleep or having sleep apnea. And we have to understand why. Well, what's happening is, is for example, let's say there's an obstruction in the airway. What you're doing is you're pulling the lower jaw forward and out, and you put potentially an apnea waking up out of your sleep to help save you to take that deep breath. That is shifting you out of that deep sleep and into uh, and awakening you and not allowing you to to have that growth hormone release and potentially have um, that memory consolidation that we need for our children to have that ability to be able to function properly throughout the day. Thank you for explaining that. Cause I think sometimes parents get all these different messages and they're just like, but if my kid's showing ADHD signs, that must be ADHD. Like, you know, and I think that 
sometimes it's just about asking more questions and looking more closely. Um, so the next part, I want you to just talk us through, I know that you're really, this really always involves collaboration between different specialists. So I thought maybe you could talk a little bit about um, when a parent brings their child to see you and um, do they start with you and then who are the other specialists you work with and who might be involved depending on what's going on? Yeah. So depending on what's going on for sure. So we work in a interdisciplinary setting where we have myself who treats children uh, pedi- in the pediatric arm. We also have a speech and language pathologist who's also an oral motor therapist that helps with increasing um jaw jaw strength muscle tone in children and also helps with speech sounds and and more and she also does lactation counseling um we have another provider that is an oral maxillofacial surgeon and he helps focus on patients that are at the end stage you know that might need adults that might need maxillar skeletal expansion marpy or um sfot's or potentially mma surgery which is double jaw surgery for patients with narrow airways in addition to my husband who's dr sarush soggy and he is an ear nose and throat physician and sleep surgeon and he um basically navigates children through adulthood to help with these sleep disordered breathing issues and so but you can lean on these other specialists depending on what you see when when you first look at a child yeah Um, absolutely and we collaborate a lot with one another um I know that we can't treat one child alone. There are so many pieces to the puzzle. We also have a team of myofunctional therapists that we work with here in our office. We have, um, and other providers throughout the cities that we work within. Uh, We also have an integrative pharmacist, a sleep psychologist that we work with, a sleep hygienist. Um, There are so many different pieces to the puzzle. Depending on what's happening. Yeah, depending on what's happening. So do you want to get on to this whole tongue tie thing? I feel like a lot of people um, ask me questions about their kids and tongue ties. And I quite often send them your way. Do you want to take us into that and just talk a little bit about what a tongue tie is, like what, what it would look like and also what it how that impacts a child's sleep I don't think I think a lot of people are not really getting the the connection between those two things yeah absolutely so um so what is a tongue tie first so under our tongues there's this band of tissue and it's connecting the tongue to the floor of the mouth it's known as a lingual frenulum and sometimes that band of tissue may be unusually short or thick making it restricted or tied down So tongue ties and other restrictive frenulums in the mouth can affect in infancy, for example, breastfeeding or causing mouth breathing. And when children get a little bit older, it can impair speech. It could also predispose your child to more dental disease, and it could cause issues such as bruxism and restrict the growth of the dental arches. And I would love to talk a little bit about how this impairs breathing and how it affects breathing. So for example, if your tongue is tied down either from the back of the tongue or the front of the tongue, we need the tongue to be fully up and sealed to the roof of the mouth to be able to breathe through our nose. Our goal is to breathe through our nose. And if we breathe through our mouth, what happens is that all the viruses and bacteria in the air go straight into our airway, 
which causes tonsillar hypertrophy because all, everything's going right back there and it's not filtered through our nose hairs. So that can cause apnea and other issues but it, and impair our breathing. But in addition, if that tongue is not able to seal up on the palate, what happens is it's more than likely having a lack of tone. So when the tongue's tone is low, what happens is it makes it very easy for the tongue to fall back into the airway. So when you're asleep, all the muscles in your body relax, including the 16 muscles of our tongue. So if our tongue is tied down or it's low because of a tongue tie or tone issues, what happens is, is when we're asleep and all the muscles of our body relax, it's very easy for the tongue to fall back into the airway. And when we're asleep, and that might result in us trying to push the tongue out of the airway, either through potential snore, like potential um, apneas, or for example, um, bruxism and grinding when we're pushing that lower jaw forward. So can you explain a little bit? So when, when people are clenching and grinding their teeth, can you explain about what is causing that? Because I think oftentimes, especially not as much in children, but sometimes in children, you'll hear about like, you know, my child went to the dentist and they're saying that they're grinding their teeth. And why should people think like, oh, there must, there might be something wrong with their breathing rather than, oh, they just grind their teeth for no yeah. reason. I think that this is one of my favorite topics to talk about. Same. <laughs> why, why, are, why is my child grinding? Well, Grinding and bruxism, it's a it's multifactorial. There are many different right. reasons why a child can grind. Um, this parafunctional habit can be, cut, be because of sleep disorder breathing. And it's also now, based on our most recent paper that we, pub, we published, we found that it has a statistically significant association to tongue tie. Meaning that if a patient is tongue tied, they more than likely have, a, uh, have an association to grinding. And what we theorize or hypothesize is the very fact that the tongue is tied and it's down. And then they're pulling that lower jaw forward to get the tongue out of the airway, which it was resulting in the teeth and the teeth hitting against each other, causing tooth wear and bruxism. Um, it can also be due to just a, a stress, for example, grinding can be related to, uh, to stress and there's lots of other reasons, but there is a statistically significant association to this. And we found in our um, in our pa in the paper Dr. Zaghi published that about 79% of clenching and grinding was resolved after tongue tie release. So it's just valid very fact that tongue tie release does have a statistically significant association to grinding. So I guess I sound like a broken record a little bit, but I guess speaking to people who don't live close to you um if they have taken their child their child they they suspect their child has a tongue tie they they've kind of looked and they their child is maybe dealing with some of these other things mm -hmm. how do you like I've heard so many people be like well I checked with my pediatrician they said it was fine oh, gosh I hate when I hear that <laughs> so how do we then Advocate. So we, we basically would be looking for a dentist who has been specifically trained in releasing tongue ties, right? Oh, like where do you go next? Like how do they then, like if they go to a pediatrician or their pediatric dentist and they say, mm, I don't really think it's a problem. 
then but but the parents intuition is saying this doesn't seem normal to me there's some other things going on too I really want to have somebody else evaluate this tongue tie what's the best way to find a specialist who's really trained in this I would say do both if you're I would, if you're a parent and it's hard to find a provider nearby, I would do a virtual consultation with a provider that might be close by. Breathe Institute does virtual consultations. We do virtual myofunctional therapy sessions. So that's for people anywhere can can do that. Anywhere. And even, even if you're not able to come out and get released, like right away, we find a lot of patients get better with myofunctional therapy. And for those of you that might know not know what myofunctional therapy is, myofunctional therapy is like physical therapy, but for the muscles of the face and the neck and the jaws. And what we find is that when patients strengthen these muscles and get rid of and um, eliminate these dysfunctional habits, for example, if a patient has a dysfunctional swallow pattern or low tongue posture and they need to work on tongue strength or having compensations of using the the muscles of the neck to do certain sounds, for example. What we find is that when patients eliminate these these, these functions, they start to feel better. So by working on these things, even with your little ones, like um, we find that patients tend to get a lot better. So is there a particular order people should do things in or does it just depend on the individual child? I really think it's important for a patient to establish a dental home um, for kids specifically as early as possible in a setting, if possible, even, even virtually with a functional dentist or, and one that has airway training, because there's so much that you can see early on and so, so much that you can, you can do to prevent. And I think prevention is key. It's important. Um, and we don't want to, we don't want to put out the fire once it's already there. We want to just see the smoke, put it out when the fire is blazing. That's not when we want to run in and treat. Yeah. Uh, we, if we see the signs, we can jump in and do so. So I would say find an airway cent- centered provider, um, whether I would prefer to be somebody that can do a screening and assess air, assess the, assess the different structures, for example, the jaws look up I look in the nose I look inside I look and see the function of the tongue I look and see the development of the jaws I'm looking to see the back of the you know how the tonsils appear there's so and how you're even walking that tells us Um, I wanted you to talk about palate expansion because you mentioned earlier about um tongue posture and that children should have their tongue up to the roof of their palate um you know, all the time when they're nasal breathing properly. So do you want to talk a little bit about what happens with the dental arch and then what you can do to solve that and what kind of ages kids are when you do that? So, yes, we so when you see a high palate or a palate that or arches that are not fully developed or crowding, for example, these are all signs of something greater. And dental crowding, for example, it's a sign that the bones are small, secondary to an airway or tongue issue. And this can lead to sleep disorder breathing in and of itself. So functional pediatric dentist, functional dentist, they're in the ideal position to be able to examine the root cause and uh, to help the child or adult sleep and breathe better. So what can that look like and why? Why is this happening? Well, when the tongue is tied down, what we see is that form follows function. For example, or if there's 
and large tonsils and the tongue is low because the patient is opening up their mouth to get better breathing, what we find is that the tongue is not sealed on the roof of the mouth to create that beautiful U-shaped arch, right? That's gonna help the teeth come in the correct position and the jaw to develop beautifully. So if the tongue is down, what we see is that V-shaped arch or when we see that crowding. And what we also see is that patients might develop some difficulties breathing through the nose. And the reason is, is that the roof of the mouth is the floor of the nose. So if there's underdeveloped jaws, what we find is that can affect directly the nasal passageway. So the airway is comprised of the nose, the mouth, and the three frontal walls and the back of the tongue. If we, what we found in the recent paper uh, by uh, Audrey Yoon and Rebecca Bacow is that when we make the jaws wider, that can actually help shrink the tonsils, make the tonsils smaller. Incredible, right? If these are patients that are considering potentially surgery, um, when well, this is in patients that- This is in children. Do we children. know? Yeah. Yeah, children. Um, what we found is that by making the jaws wider, that can actually help shrink the tonsils. Why? It's because you're able to get um, you're able to get patients to breathe better through the nose because the roof of the mouth is the floor of the nose. And since when they breathe better, what happens is, is that they're breathing through the nose and not the mouth, which less viruses and bacteria are entering the back of the throat and less inflammation in the airway. So what we find, and this actually confirms what we have found throughout years of doing this treatment, is that patients really are breathing better they are sleeping better and they're getting room for their permanent teeth to erupt if they're in, in the uh, primary dentition or if they're in the, they have mixed dentition, meaning that they have some baby teeth, some permanent teeth, they're right in between. We also find that there becomes more space for those permanent teeth to come in and they gain more access to breathing better and having better um, abilities to sleep. Yeah. So that's and what- so when people go to their pediatric dentist and are told, wait till your child is 12 or when all of the baby teeth have fallen out before even looking at any sort of expansion or orthodontics. What do we think about that? So, you know, I think that every doctor is doing what they think is best. For right. The absolutely. And it, I think there's just like, like we talked about earlier, of um, not so much continued education may be available to many doctors that I've been practicing, practicing a certain way for X many years. Yeah. In addition to doctors don't like to treat kids because kids are kind of hard to treat. And that's just the reality. It requires a lot of like coaxing and talking and maybe extra chair time. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's a combination of reasons why doctors might not want to treat until permanent teeth come in. Um, however, we have to understand that the maxillary halves, which is the two, the upper jaw is connected. There's something called a maxillary suture. Okay. As the child gets towards puberty, what we find is that suture, it's more fused, making it more difficult for somebody to have the ability to, to create the expansion that we need. Because if it's too, um, if we find that the jaws are not as malleable, as if they, they were when they were young, it makes it more difficult for us to provide that expansion that we need. Um, so when we treat earlier, and I treat, for example, kids. That was going to be my next question. Yeah, so. so I treat, um, 
I have this like saying that you can do palatal expansion from birth and beyond. That's just my thing, my saying. And there's so much that you can do at home. Um, for example, getting the tongue up, getting age age appropriate teethers that have proper extensions that um, aid in chewing so that we could get the jaws to strengthen and get the tongue up and the lips closed. Chewing hard things is a thing as well, right? Yeah, chewing hard things like, for example, harder foods rather than baby foods, because when the tongue is up and it's elevating and there's transverse movement of the tongue, what we find is that their jaws are going to develop more properly. Whereas if you're using, for example, pouches day in and day out, what we're finding is that the form follows function. So the sucking motion day and night will cause the jaws to stay underdeveloped mm. and not grow appropriately. So there are appliances that you can provide for kids as young as six months, actual appliances. Wow. Um, and, and some, I know there are some, phys, some doctors that do it even earlier. Um, yeah. And guided by your doctor and your, your, the parent is educated and taught as well. We do appliances that not all, they don't sleep in it, but we do things that they can help develop the jaws and mm -hmm. uh, guide them in the correct, in the correct manner. So these things are, it's not impossible, but it's very difficult to reverse them. Right. So trying to do myofunctional therapy as an adult, not that it's not going to help it. It absolutely has helped me and having my tongue tie released helped me and, and all the things, but compared with your strategy of treating this in very small children is like so much easier to me. Like, you know, just do it quickly and then they'll just be on the road to developing healthily and oh they won't God. ever need to worry about sleep apnea. Right. I had, a, I had a patient like you're reminding me of a patient that I saw. If you don't mind me sharing, I have a. Oh no. Yeah, I saw a patient. Um, her follow up like last week or two weeks ago, and they come from far away. And I'm very, very grateful that my patients. I, I'm very, very blessed that I have families that are willing to travel me for, to me from a distance. Um, and this child wasn't growing for like a year and a half. If you hear this parent story, I'll cry for her. Yeah. Went looking everywhere for an answer. Yeah. Found, found Dr. Zoggy, discovered her child had a tongue tie release, needed a tongue tie release, did the myofunctional therapy. He improved, got the release. He improved even more. Then he, um, in addition to needing, um, he had a bilateral crossbite, meaning that his upper jaw was completely underdeveloped. So what you see yeah. is his upper jaw was small. His lower jaw was bigger than his upper jaw. Mm -hmm. So in one month, we got him completely out of a, bi a bilateral, out of a posterior bilateral crossbite, which means that we were able to get his upper jaw bigger than his lower jaw in one month. Can you imagine the mom? I looked at him. I'm like, how? I mean, that that honestly makes me want to cry. It's like, so sad. And in yeah. one month, the, the mom was like, you don't even understand. He's sleeping better, breathing better. He grew his face, entire yeah. face changed in one month. I'm like, this is, un I've seen it. But when yeah. I see it, when I see how much it changes the physical, this child, some, someone's life, how it can literally change yeah. the quality of the child's life. It's, it's unfathomable what, what sleep disordered breathing and narrow jaws and a narrow airway can do to a person's quality of life. Yeah. Absolutely. Can you explain a little bit about facial development 
as well. Because I think like this whole thing of like, like obviously I also, along with all those things, developed a really long, narrow face and didn't really think too much about it until I started getting really into this stuff. And then I was like, oh gosh, it's really a thing. So mm-hmm. do you want to explain how it's not only to do with breathing and, you know, your jaws not developing properly. Can you explain how that affects people's faces? Yeah, of course. So what happens is, is that form. So like I mentioned before, form follows function. So like, let's say, for example, you cannot breathe from your nose. There's like something physically wrong within the nasal. There's like something there, polyps, something or another, very large turbulence. You can't breathe through the nose at all. What happens is that we see no matter what, you're going to need to breathe from your mouth. If you can't breathe from your nose, you breathe from your mouth. If you breathe from your mouth, the tongue is down. What happens is, is you start to develop an increased lower third of your, your face. So the jaw is going to start to grow downward rather than go, going forward. Right. And and what we see is because of that, we'll see allergy shanners under the eyes. We'll see narrow faces. We might see more forward head posture because we're pulling everything for to breathe. Um and we see that the ch- children might have other issues, like we mentioned, like ADHD-like symptoms and so on. So form follows function. It only takes about 1.5 grams of force to move the tooth, and the tongue provides 700 grams of force. And this is research that has shown this. There are studies wow. that have shown this. So we need the tongue to stay up for us to, and the mouth to stay closed and us to breathe through the nose for us to be able to have that, that forward jaw growth um, transfer growth and for us to be able to breathe through our nose to be able to to have this appropriate growth of our faces okay. that make, cool. that- yeah that makes perfect sense thank you for explaining it um so I'm definitely going to do links to the Ferris six thing and links to the breathe institute so people can search whether people have been trained by you guys anything else like can you tell people like where should they find you? Can they follow you on Instagram? Things like that. Yeah. So my name is Dr. Nora Zoggy on Instagram. Um, my website is breathekidsdental.com. Um, I could be reached to directly through there or through the v- Breathe Institute. Um, I just have my direct line on my actual website just to make it easier for families to navigate and, um, I just wanted to give a message to families, you know, if you see something and doesn't sit right with you, the way that your child is breathing, the way that they're sleeping, the way that they're behaving, don't stop there. If it doesn't seem like it's healthy, it's probably unhealthy. And these beginning signs really, and I would say most of the families that find us, it's not because it's really because they did that extra research. They did their reading. They looked they looked at the signs, they they did the extra homework and went the extra mile because they were like, I need to find the root cause. And just like anything for your, for your child, finding the root cause is the only way to create a solution. Yeah. Uh, managing symptoms is not the answer. We have to find the root cause and put out the fire. Well, yeah. listen, thank you so much for your time. This has been an absolute delight. <laughs> thank you. I had a great time too. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks so much for listening. I love hearing from you. 
If you'd like to be featured in an upcoming episode, please email me at sleepapneastories at gmail.com. That's also the place to get in touch if you just want to say hi or ask a question. Alternatively, you can always reach me on Instagram. My handle there is at sleepapneastories. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. This really helps a wider audience to find the episodes, and I really appreciate it.